This is Guns and Butter. But the, the issue that concerns me at this particular stage is that, in effect, the election of Pope Francis I has very broad geopolitical implications for the entire Latin American region. In the 70s, Jorge Mario Bergoglio was supportive of a U.S.-sponsored military dictatorship. A man who has safely served U.S. interests, one can certainly envisage a scenario where the hierarchy of the Catholic Church in Latin America once again can be effectively manipulated to undermine progressive leftist governments. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who is Pope Francis I? Michel Chosodovsky is professor of economics and director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. Today we discuss the selection of Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio to the papacy, the historical coup d'etat in Argentina of 1976 with the instatement of the Structural Adjustment Program, Bergoglio's complicity with the dictatorship, the present-day trial in Buenos Aires, which will bring to light Operation Condor, the broad geopolitical implications of the papal appointment, and Michel Chosodovsky's personal experiences in both Argentina and Chile during both coups. Michel Chosodovsky, welcome. Delighted to be on, on the program. You have a new article entitled, Washington's Pope? Who is Pope Francis I? Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio and Argentina's Dirty War. Have you come to any conclusions as to who the new Pope Francis I is? Well, he's a very important figure in the Catholic Church in Argentina, going back to the 1970s. When he was appointed, he was Cardinal of Buenos Aires. But if we go back to the 70s, he was uh, appointed provincial of Argentina's Society of Jesus. In other words, he was the most important official of the Jesuits in that country at the time of the military junta, 1976 to 1983. Now, what is, I think, very crucial that we understand is that the Catholic hierarchy, including Jorge Mario Bergogli, supported the instatement of the military junta who came to power in a military coup on the 24th of March, 1976. This was a coup which was supported by the CIA. In fact, Henry Kissinger was personally behind it. He played a behind-the-scenes role. And he knew that it was going to lead to bloodshed. And he also knew that this was going to lead to to mass massacres of leftists and, and um, people who were opposed to military rule, because that had actually been decided under what was called Operation Condor. And what was initiated in 1976 was a, was a dirty war where thousands of people were killed or disappeared. Now, there is evidence that the Catholic hierarchy at the time 
which includes Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the present Pope Francis I, played an insidious and complicit role in relation to the junta, which was led by General uh, Jorge Videla. Now, what position within the Catholic Church in Argentina did uh, Jorge Bergoglio hold when a military junta took power in 76? Well, he was well, he was provincial. He was the head of the Jesuit order throughout the nation. And he belonged to the most uh, influential faction of the Catholic Church. Uh, he was not cardinal or archbishop, but he held a very important position. Now, what what is at stake is the fact that during his mandate as provincial head of the Jesuits throughout Argentina, he actually collaborated directly with the junta in the kidnapping of grassroots priests, as well as members of the parish, who were then kidnapped. They were kidnapped by the death squads. They were subsequently released, uh, but several members of the parish, in fact, six people were disappeared of that group. And there was a lawsuit directed against him where he was accused of having handed over these two priests to the death squads of the military dictatorship. Uh, In fact, from my standpoint, this is just the tip of the iceberg, because the Catholic Church hierarchy, as well as Jorge Mario Bergoglio, collaborated with the military, the military junta, right from the outset, and in fact, even before the military coup. And we have evidence to the fact that one day before the coup of March 23, 1976, Jorge Videla, the senior general of the armed forces, and his cohorts had received the blessing of the Archbishop of Paraná, Adolfo Tortolo, and uh, that the issue of the coup itself had even been discussed uh, by the Conference of Bishops and the hierarchy upon the accession of the military to power on the 24th of, of March, 76, where essentially they had overthrown a democratically elected government, was for Argentinians to, quote, cooperate in a positive way with the new government. That was the instructions of the Catholic hierarchy, and it was also understood that the Catholic hierarchy would collaborate with with the military leaders and would consult with the military leaders in relation to the implementation of their their policy of killing people and disappearing political opponents. And this was very clearly brought out when General Jorge Videla, who was arrested uh, and who's serving a, a life sentence for crimes against humanity, uh, he said, and he confirmed it, in an interview conducted with uh, the Spanish uh, magazine El Sur, um, that uh, he, Videla, kept the country's Catholic hierarchy informed about the regime's policy of disappearing political opponents, and that Catholic leaders offered advice in how to manage the policy. And he says, they advised us about the manner in which to deal with the situation. In other words, what this, what this testimony of 
uh, General Jorge Videla suggests is that the Catholic hierarchy were fully supportive of, of these crimes against humanity. And more specifically, Pope Francis, in other words, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, was also involved in the kidnapping of two grassroots priests who disagreed. They disagreed with the Catholic hierarchy's instructions and refused to collaborate with the military. Okay? The, the Catholic hierarchy could have taken on another position, as they had in Chile. Um, and I so happened to have lived both those military coups. I was in Chile in, in, uh, in 1973, and I, I arrived in Argentina just about a week or two after the 1976 coup. And I lived through the first few months. I was visiting Professor Universidad Nacional de Córdoba in the northern industrial city, which was in fact the, the mainstay of the resistance movement. But the Catholic Church in Chile took a very critical position in relation to the junta led by General Augusto Pinochet, who came to power on the 11th of September 1973. It was Cardinal Silva Enriquez who took a very strong stance and condemned the military leaders. And as a result, he must have saved a lot of lives because in Chile there was not anything comparable to what happened in Argentina. When people were arrested Invariably, we knew where they were, okay? But in Argentina, um, they disappeared, they were killed. Um, there's a whole documentation on this black period of, of history. But I think what is very important here to understand is that the Pope, which has recently been elected uh, by the Vatican conclave of 115 um, Cardinals is essentially complicit in extensive crimes against humanity, and he is also, according to several reports and investigations, complicit in handing over two members of the Jesuit order to the death squads, not to mention the six uh, members of the parish who were teaching um, and who were associated to that parish, who were disappeared, including um, several young, young women, their husbands, and so on. I don't think there's anything comparable in Vatican history. We've had very controversial figures, you know, have taken on the, uh, the leadership of the Catholic Church. But in this particular case, what has happened is that the conclave has appointed a person who is complicit in uh, crimes against humanity. Well, you write that Bergoglio, who at the time was provincial, which you have stated uh, for the Society of Jesus, had ordered two leftist Jesuit priests to, quote, leave their pastoral work. In fact, I mean, he essentially he fired them. They were working in the slums where they advocated liberation theology. So what became well, of these two priests, and, and what's liberation theology, and how does it differ from uh, more mainstream Catholicism? The, the press reports have said that these two priests were preaching liberation theology. Liberation theology is a, is a grassroots movement in the Catholic Church throughout Latin America. Now, 
I think that these two priests were simply opposed to the military rule, like millions of people in Argentina were opposed to it. And most of the grassroots priests were opposed to it. And I recall uh, when I was in Argentina at the time that we had reports in the newspaper of nuns who were killed. They were actually Belgian nuns, I remembered very clearly. They were killed. And then the government would come up with a statement saying, no, we, we're not behind that, etc., etc." They usually blamed the insurgency. Uh, but it was, it was very well understood that the Catholic hierarchy was supporting the junta. They even they gave their blessing to the military junta. And they had very close personal relations. The nuncio, the, the Vatican's representative to Argentina at the time, had very close personal ties to the junta. Uh, so that essentially we're not dealing necessarily with with one individual. It wasn't Jorge Mario Bergoglio who was necessarily calling the shots on all these assassinations. But his position was very influential within the Catholic Church. He was certainly among the leading um, members of the Catholic hierarchy, being head of the Jesuit order in Argentina. And the Jesuit order in Argentina had links to the military. And the military had links to Wall Street and to Washington. It was a coup which was also historical because it was characterized by the instatement of, of what we subsequently called the structural adjustment program. It was the devastating impacts of macroeconomic reform. And there was only one civilian member of the cabinet. It was um, Martinez de Oz, who was Minister of Economy and Finance. Uh, and this particular individual essentially was a Wall Street appointee. He, he was a close friend of David Rockefeller. He had links to Chase Manhattan at the time. Uh, he was uh, also in contact with the International Monetary Fund. And um, he implemented uh, very devastating economic policy measures, which ultimately led to the impoverishment of the Argentinian population. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who is Pope Francis I? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Uh, when I started uh, at the University of Córdoba shortly after the coup, I was... Um, uh, involved in the research of the impacts of the reforms, because immediately what happened in the first two or three months was a collapse in real earnings. They froze the wages by decree. That was the first measure that the military junta actually implemented. And then there was inflation. So it's according to my estimates, in the first few months after the coup, there was a loss of about one-third in real earning capacity, real purchasing power, because wages were frozen and then there was runaway inflation. And essentially, it was measures directed against organized labor. Uh, it led to impoverishment. It was repeal of price controls. And we're talking about a country which, at the time, probably had one of the highest standards of living in South America. There was a history going back to the 1930s of building social programs, it was a highly educated society, and ultimately what the military government is that they reversed the historical process, 
there had been military regimes previously, but essentially it was the military regime combined with the IMF-style strong economic medicine which set the stage. And, and David Rockefeller would meet with uh, Jorge Videla, General Jorge Videla, the, the leader of the coup, um, together with Martinez de Oz. In turn, Jorge Videla would, would meet with Jorge Mario Bergoglio, uh, who's the current pope. And at the same time, the apostolic nuncio, in other words, the, the, the representative of the pope in um, Buenos Aires, would play tennis with, uh, with uh, members of the ruling junta. In particular, he was close friends with Admiral Emilio Eduardo Macera, who was head of the Navy. The junta was made up of essentially three individuals, Videla, the armed forces, um, Admiral Emilio Eduardo Macera was the Navy, and then there was General Viola, who, was, who represented the Air Force. But the key figure in the junta was General Jorge Videla. And the present pope was, if we go by the records, had a personal relationship with the head of the junta. Uh, he didn't take a position which normally belongs to, to the basic tenets of, uh, of Christianity to protect the lives of the people who were being killed on the orders of Jorge Videla. Um, I mean, the, the Catholic Church, you know, still has certain moral standards and ethics and so on, which we, we all share. But at the time, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the present pope, was in cahoots with one of the most uh, repressive forms of government which uh, has characterized South America in the course of the last century. I mean, we could compare what happened in Argentina to the, you know, the dictatorships in Central America, but it was the most brutal dictatorship uh, involving mass killings of people, um, the, the disappeared, not to mention the fact that the children of the disappeared were kidnapped and stolen from their mothers before their mothers were killed, and then they were handed over as adopted children to members of the armed forces. That, that scandal now has resurfaced. And uh, certainly uh, Bergoglio was cognizant of what was happening, and he failed to act. But more than that, he was also complicit in uh, the rest of progressive members of the Catholic clergy who were tortured. Um, they were not killed, but several members of their parish who were kidnapped in the same operation in May of 1976 uh, were uh, subsequently disappeared. And, and in fact, the mother of one of, of the young women who was who was kidnapped, then led this very important movement, which is called Madres de la Plaza de Mayo, the mothers of those who had been uh, kidnapped and killed by, by the military junta. Yes, I've heard of that. You write that the currency market was manipulated. What effect did this currency manipulation have? Well, essentially, the peso was, was overvalued and pegged to the dollar, um, uh, and then they opened up the economy to free trade. It led to the demise of local industry. 
it was an artificial pegging of, of the peso. Um, it, it led to massive bankruptcies. And uh, I mean, these are these are complex phenomena. They're not necessarily directly related to what was happening in in the realm of of the Catholic Church or the military junta. But what I underscored um, is the fact that uh, that there was a parallel process of economic and social repression, which was the result of the collapse of the standard of living. And and uh, when I was in Argentina, uh, I, I recall distinctly how, uh, in the wake of the coup, you'd walk in the evening and there was nothing. Everything was closed down. There were lots of businesses which were driven into bankruptcy. Uh, I used to go to the library of the university, which was in the, the historical buildings. It wasn't on the sort of modern campus. It was a bit downtown. It it was one of the oldest universities in the continent, actually. And um, what happened, it was, of course, going on to autumn. It was the month of, of May. And uh, I, I recall how they cut the heat and the electricity so that essentially at five o'clock, more or less, I decided to go home. I was in the process of compiling uh, and verifying uh, tendencies with regard to consumer prices in the period prior and after the military coup with, with a view to establishing some kind of understanding of what had happened and, and looking at issues of wages. So I would go to the library and, and then I'd, I'd come home. Uh, the, the, the university had been taken over by the Air Force, which was an incredible process. Uh, Air Force colonels were appointed to every single faculty except the Faculty of Economics but it was a very it was a very frightening period in history when one could feel what was happening and from the economic standpoint you could see the the collapse in earnings the closing of enterprises the demise of the trade unions and trade union leaders they were also being targeted by the regime there was a very strong trade union movement in argentina and immediately they were targeted, and that was the whole basis of these macroeconomic reforms, which were supported by Wall Street, including David Rockefeller and the, the International Monetary Fund. So that we, we must understand that, uh, A, this coup of 24 March 1976 was supported by the CIA. Kissinger was behind it. Uh, what was installed was a pro-U.S military junta, which immediately implemented uh, economic policy measures which favored U.S. financial interests. Um, it was in permanent liaison with Wall Street through its Ministry of Economy, and in turn, the Catholic Church supported the military. And by supporting the military, they also supported the military's economic uh, project, which was to impoverish Argentina and to destroy the Argentinian economy, its whole basis, uh, which was something which had been built up over, over half a century from the early 20th century onwards. How was Washington benefited by imposing strong economic medicine under the helm of the IMF and the World Bank to the country of Argentina? What's the payoff for the U.S.? Well, the, the payoff is essentially to break down the 
the structures of a national economy, integrate Argentina into the, the structures of transnational capital, open the door to, to multinational so-called investors, destabilize the monetary system. All of these things were, were part of a package which was subsequently applied to many other countries. So when we had the structural adjustment program in the early 80s, uh, in the context of the debt crisis, this model had already been uh, applied first in Chile in 1973 under the so-called Chicago Boys, who were uh, graduates of the University of Chicago. Milton Friedman was their, you know, was their mentor, and uh, the first thing that the, the junta did in, in October 73 again was to freeze wages and. Uh, uh, given the, the levels of inflation, which were extremely high, uh, this led to a massive collapse in the standard of living. So it was there to impoverish the population. And at the same time, it was there to ensure that the economic elites, who were their allies, would be able to, uh, to run the show. And uh, essentially, that these countries would remain uh, U.S. proxy states, so to speak. And uh, in Chile in 73, essentially, what happened was the overthrow of a democratically elected government. It was the government of Salvador Allende, the popular unity government. It was a coalition government of leftist and center-left leftist parties. Uh, and uh, it is known and documented that the CIA was uh, involved in supporting the military coup, which led to the formation of the junta led by President Augusto Pinochet. And uh, we have also evidence of extensive crimes committed by that government, uh, but certainly not on the scale of those committed by the, uh, the Argentinian ruling junta, which uh, came to power in 1976. Well, now, when you say that the entire Catholic hierarchy was behind the military junta in Argentina, uh, you're including Rome in that hierarchy as well, right? And now, how is it, if that's the case, that the uh, Catholic hierarchy in Chile was able to take a different stance? Well, what I've been able to document is that, first of all, the Catholic hierarchy prior to uh, the coup had meetings with, with the military. Uh, in fact, they actually met at length with leaders of the bishops' conference in the day prior to the coup. And in essence, the Catholic hierarchy gave them the green light. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that they gave them the green light on behalf of the Vatican. They gave them the green light on behalf of the economic elites uh, in Argentina, to which they belong. The Catholic Church in Argentina was very closely associated with the economic elites, which in turn were associated with Washington and, and Wall Street. And uh, they were certainly opposed to any kind of leftist, reformist um, project in Argentina. And when they gave their blessing to the armed forces, to, to the military, it was prior to the coup. Um, I don't think that this 
position of the Catholic Church was um, dictated by the Vatican. But I can certainly say that the Vatican did not in any way interfere in attempting, let's say, to influence the Catholic Church in Argentina to take on a stance which might have been critical uh, of uh, the military junta. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who is Pope Francis I? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, in Chile, when uh, uh, the Cardinal of Santiago, uh, Raul Silva Enriquez, openly condemned the military junta led by General Augusto Pinochet, he didn't consult with the Vatican. I think he, he must have gone against the Vatican. He was a very outspoken individual. But, I mean, cardinals have a certain leeway, and they respond to social forces within the, within the country. Now, he wasn't particularly pro-Allende, but he was against the junta, and he made it known. And, there, of course, the grassroots priests in Chile, a lot of them were, uh, were against the junta, like most people in Chile were against the junta. Uh, but the, the position taken by the Catholic hierarchy in Chile, it might have gone against the Vatican. Okay? I would suspect it went against the Vatican. I recall because I was actually teaching at the Catholic University of Chile at the time, and we were very familiar with, with what was going on. Uh, the uh, Cardinal uh, Silva Enriquez would come to the university. That university was, was a pontifical university, but it was still very much tied into state fundings. But, but the Catholic Church had certainly a, a word to say about how the university was, was run, and we, we knew what was happening. And we knew that that stance of the Catholic hierarchy in Chile was not uh, necessarily approved by the Vatican. However, uh, when we look at the situation in Argentina, uh, we can say uh, that the Vatican under Pope Paul VI and subsequently in 1978 under Pope John Paul II they played a central role in supporting the Argentinian military junta. They didn't do anything particularly uh, negative against this military junta. They didn't take any position. Uh, they didn't uh, instruct the Catholic hierarchy in Argentina to act in any particular way. Uh, the Catholic hierarchy in Argentina was supportive of the junta, and the Vatican was, was visibly also in support of the junta. And their representative, the Vatican's apostolic nuncio, Pio Laghi, admitted, quite candidly admitted to, quote, turning a blind eye to the torture and massacres committed by the junta. And uh, all this to say is that the Vatican ultimately was also complicit or turned a blind eye to... Uh, the crimes committed by the, the junta. You write that, quote, a major trial opened up in Buenos Aires on March 5, 2013, a week prior to Cardinal Bergoglio's investiture as pontiff. What is this trial about? Well, the, the trial which opened up in Argentina is the trial of Operation Condor, um, the dirty war. It's, um, it's ironic that this um, trial actually opened up about a week before the instatement of the new pope. 
And uh, this uh, Operation Condor is a trial on the Latin American rendition and assassination program, which was essentially a, a CIA operation of supporting right-wing military regimes in Chile, in Argentina, as well as in other countries of the continent. And the dirty war in Argentina was part of it. It was the killing of, of leftist activists. And this is something which has now been revealed in the United States because the documents of Operation Condor have been declassified. And we, we know that these documents have very important information because they point to how the State Department actually spearheaded these assassinations. And, and they also point to the role of Henry Kissinger and other personalities within the U.S. government. Uh, interestingly, um, just uh, a few days ago, uh, we published the documents of the National Security Archive. Well, we published a, a review article, and, and all those documents are now available, the ones which uh, point to the role of Henry Kissinger uh, in South America, the reports of the Defense Intelligence Agency uh, entitled Special Operations Forces, Operation Condor, and so on, and, and several secret CIA documents. So that uh, what I'm suggesting here is, first of all, we must understand that this regime in Argentina is a U.S.-sponsored regime change at the time in the 1970s the United States didn't impose democracy. They would go in and they would destabilize a country and they would install a military dictatorship. Well, today they destabilize a democracy and they install some kind of fake pro-American uh, regime which has some of the appearances of democracy but which is in effect is a is a puppet regime. Uh, in the 1970s, it was military dictatorships was the answer uh, historically, and, and the, the regime installed in 1976 in, in Argentina was a U.S.-sponsored regime, and it was supported by Operation Condor, which was a cohesive program led in Latin America direct against any kind of leftist tendency within Latin American countries, their governments, and so on and so forth. Uh, it was a consistent and coherent operation, which was characterized by targeted assassinations, mass killings, death squads, and so on. And this trial has opened up in Argentina barely about a week or so ago, and the issue of the dirty war, which was part of Operation Condor, the dirty war waged by the military junta in the wake of the 1976 coup d'etat, will certainly be part of the proceedings. And the role of the Catholic Church undoubtedly will be brought up, because it's, it was really part of the whole pattern and structure of repression and human rights crimes committed involving, again, the disappearing and the killing of thousands of people. They say up to 22,000 people were killed or disappeared from 1976 to 1978 in the first two years. And that thousands more were killed in the period from 1978 to 1983 when the military government finally collapsed.
But the, the, the issue that, that concerns me at this particular stage is that, in effect, the election of Pope Francis I has very broad geopolitical implications for the entire Latin American region. Um, in the 70s, uh, he was complicit with the activities of the military junta, but we can say unequivocally that Jorge Mario Bergoglio was supportive of a U.S.-sponsored military dictatorship. That, that regime came to power uh, as a result of a CIA-led operation. Okay? And that CIA-led operation was also supported by U.S. financial interests. Uh, consequently, this individual, the stances that he has taken historically are that of sustaining and supporting U.S. interests in Latin America, and his stance in support of the military dictatorship indicates that he is firmly, he is firmly aligned with a right-wing conservative stance directed against uh, leftists, against reform, uh, to say conservative, I mean he, he was supportive of, of a criminal military government. And if we look at what's happening in Latin America today, where a number of governments are now challenging U.S. hegemony and uh, where they have uh, a, a more sort of nationalistic, uh, progressive perspective. I'm thinking of countries like uh, Bolivia, Ecuador, of course, Venezuela under Chavez. And, and we know that in Latin American society, the Catholic Church plays a tremendous role and, and the Catholic Church can be used in this particular juncture with this new pope to essentially use its influence against this new tendency of progressive uh, governments and progressive tendencies in Latin America. So that careful analysis, from my standpoint, this is a U.S. pope, okay? <laughs> Jorge Mario Bergoglio is Washington's pope in the Vatican because he is serving U.S. interests. These governments have challenged U.S. hegemony, and they are the same governments which were challenging uh, U.S. hegemony in the 1970s, which were displaced by U.S.-sponsored military coup, particularly in Chile, to a lesser extent in Argentina. But the, the breaking of the labor movement in Argentina was, of course, part of the the agenda of the military coup, so that with uh, Jorge Bergoglio as Pope, um, a man who has safely served U.S. interests and who served those U.S. interests in the heyday of, of General Jorge Videla, um, one can certainly envisage a scenario where the hierarchy of the Catholic Church in Latin America once again can be effectively manipulated to undermine progressive leftist governments. And that's true not only in Argentina in relation to the government of Cristina Kirchner, it's also true throughout the region. And I know that on occasion, uh, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, Francis I, has also taken a position against some of the policies of the present government of Cristina Kirchner. But it would be very unwise for Cristina Kirchner as president of Argentina to openly take a stance against the elected pope. It would be political suicide. You don't do that in Latin America. 
the church is untouchable. Okay? The hierarchy of the church is untouchable. And um, what I do think is likely to happen is that, that this is going to heighten divisions within the Catholic Church. The powers of the Vatican will uh, be used perhaps more effectively in curbing governments which are implementing progressive reforms. And it's not by accident that Washington is supporting Jorge Mario Bergoglio as their preferred candidate. Uh, he is Washington's pope because he is going to serve Washington's hegemonic interests throughout the Latin American region. That is very, very clear. Uh, now, we know that the U.S. State Department is consistently pressuring members of the United Nations Security Council with a view of influencing the vote in, on the key resolutions. They also intervene in national elections. I am sure that they intervened covertly, directly, indirectly in the conclave of 115 cardinals to ensure that the Pope, who is elected, will be an individual he was perhaps not the only member of the conclave who, who would have served U.S. interests, but he was their preferred candidate, and Washington certainly used its influence to ensure that this appointment would be made. And I, I suspect that in the years to come, uh, the Catholic Church will be used uh, via the Vatican to exert pressures uh, on uh, governments which, uh, in one way or another, leftists or nationalist governments, uh, which question the hegemony of the United States of America throughout the hemisphere and in Latin America. And uh, religion is a very powerful instrument. And I, I think that this is well understood by the architects of U.S. foreign policy uh, that the Catholic Church is politically influential, and the Catholic Church has individuals like Jorge Mario Bergoglio, which from, uh, you know, from a broad point of view could be considered as U.S.-sponsored intelligence assets. That is, I think, what the Pope's role is going to be. He will serve those interests. He will serve the hegemonic interests in the Latin American region, uh, his track record during the military government of Jorge Videla shows that he's an individual uh, who is supportive of authoritarian government and an individual who is complicit in U.S.-sponsored crimes against humanity. I can't say it otherwise because that is what that government in Argentina represented in 1976, crimes against humanity sponsored by the United States and there we have a Catholic hierarchy which was complicit in its implementation. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Who is Pope Francis I? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I um, certainly recall those events. I spent three or four months in, in uh, Argentina um, as visiting professor, and um, when uh, when this appointment was made, I immediately started investigating 
you know, the whole background, I understood because I was also witness to how the Catholic hierarchy during that period, pretty much left the country, I think, in the third week of July, uh, which was in the middle of winter. But essentially, I, was, I, I, I witnessed how the Catholic hierarchy routinely supported the military junta in terms of statements, blessing the armed forces, and creating an atmosphere of intimidation and fear throughout the country because people didn't trust, they didn't trust the Catholic Church anymore. They, there was a feeling of betrayal and, and, and they, they couldn't even confide with members of the parishes to which they belonged because these members of the clergy were controlled by the, the upper echelons of the Catholic Church. And Bergoglio was part of the most let's say, conservative. It was a conservative order and a very powerful order, the Jesuits. And he was exerting that type of, of control that they had to support. Those were the words, actually, of the archbishop, um, that Argentinians had to support and cooperate in a positive way with the new government, which were, in fact, a bunch of crooks who had been installed uh, by the CIA. But what I think, which also has to be mentioned, is that they weren't innocent bystanders. They didn't just say, well, do it. They actually collaborated. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, when, when uh, General Jorge Videla, when he was interviewed, he acknowledged the fact that the Catholic hierarchy uh, was well aware of the disappearing of political opponents and that they even offered advice to the military on how to manage the disappearing of political opponents. Okay? So they were complicit in that. He says it very clearly. And he said, I had many conversations with the Argentina's primate, including Bergoglio. He was a friend of Bergoglio. One can see it. And he consulted with them, and he said we had discussions, and they advised us about the manner in which to deal with the situation, because often, for instance, they would kill the mother, the father, and then the children were there. And, and then those children were then adopted by members of the military, okay? They killed their mothers and fathers. They became orphans. And then they consulted with the church, said, what do we do? And, and the church was fully cognizant of that, program of, of killing the parents and stealing the children and then handing over those children to, to members of the, of the military regime. It was a pretty despicable period in, in, in uh, Latin American history. Now, you have mentioned crimes against humanity. What would you say to those people who claim that Bergoglio is a champion of the poor? I've heard this many times. Well, this is, of course, uh, this is a nonsensical statement. But what they say is he lives modestly. He doesn't have a big house with luxury and so on and so forth. This is a non-issue. His lifestyle, from my standpoint, is irrelevant. Uh, to say that he's a man who favors the poor, well, if he had favored the poor in those days, he would have stood up for the priests who were working in the slums instead of having them arrested. Those two priests were working in the slums, and they were helping people, and they had an educational program. And, uh, and I, I guess that at that time, 
I would say that everybody was against the junta. I know that I, I, I taught at the university, everybody was against the junta, but they were scared stiff, nobody could talk. And uh, I, I recall that my students, they trusted me because I wasn't part of the, they said they didn't trust anybody else in that institute or even in the university, they wouldn't speak freely. But in my my classes, uh, everybody was talking politics, and 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 then uh, they even said, "Well, let's meet at your house," and and so on. But it was a period of tremendous. I mean, can you imagine? They were burning. Uh, well, they had the book burnings. You know, they'd go into the libraries and start burning books. They weren't burning Karl Marx. They were burning Sigmund Freud. The Argentinian military, they, uh, well, they obeyed orders from the hierarchy, but many of them were totally uneducated. Of course, there was a tradition of military coups in Argentina going back to the 1950s, uh, contrary to the situation in Chile. And they started burning books, burning Sigmund Freud, you know. It wasn't Karl Marx that they were burning, you're burning Sigmund Freud. They, they didn't really understand uh, what they were doing. Um, torture was widespread. Even people who were simply had been arrested for, for anything, they they tortured, systematically tortured people. And um, this was a, a reign of of absolute terror. Um, and it was directed against. It was against the workers. It was against poor people. It it was not a a regime which was there to uplift the standard of living. And as I, I mentioned, the, the wages collapsed immediately after the coup. And that was economic repression. Uh, and uh, there was mass unemployment. So to say that he favors the poor, well, if he favors the poor, he should have supported the, he should have supported the leftist governments then, in that case. He should be supporting Hugo Chavez. Uh, no, he didn't support Hugo Chavez. Well, I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, as a symbol of, of what Hugo Chavez implies, he supported Jorge Videla. And at the same time, he supported Kissinger and he supported David Rockefeller because these were the people who were pulling the strings from behind. Michel, you had the unique opportunity to view both military coups, uh, both in Chile and Argentina up close. How is it that you came to have these visiting professorships in both countries? I mean, that's really quite well, something. This is really the whole series of, of um, you know, of incidents and so on. But I was in Peru in 72, and then I went down to Chile, and I met up with a, with a professor at the Catholic University, and they said, oh, it'd be good if you come to Chile, et cetera, et cetera. And then I applied for um, what was called the Teaching Fellowship Program of Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, which is really where the U.S. foreign policy experts are actually trained uh, at Tufts University. But they had this program, Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and I told them I was interested in going to Chile because they were signing people to different universities. Ford Foundation was most probably involved in that as well. So I went as visiting professor. And I actually was teaching at the Institute of Economics of the Catholic University of Chile, which was the hotbed of the Chicago school. So many of my colleagues 
there were some progressive professors in there, but many of my colleagues actually, after the coup in 73, you know, they joined, they joined the government. They even became senior ministers within that government. So I was very much aware of what was going on. And then after the coup in Chile, I started looking at the impacts of the policies which the junta had implemented, which were devastating, uh, because they increased the price of bread from 11 to 40 overnight, okay? 11 escudos to 40 overnight, and major food staples, the prices simply would go up, and that was the Chicago Boys economic policy. It happened in October 73, one month after the coup. And I started to examine that, and I, uh, I started establishing prices and so on, and looking how this, this military junta was, was impoverishing the population. And I left shortly thereafter in December 73, uh, and I went to Peru, and I was then teaching at another Catholic university, it was the Catholic University of Peru, and I subsequently published that was my first uh, essay, really, on the economics of economic repression, how, how macroeconomics can be used to impoverish people. And it, it was really those initial experiences, both of um, Chile and Argentina, which then subsequently led me to examine the IMF uh, Structural Adjustment Program, which started in the early 1980s. Now, uh, when I went to Argentina... It was a rather unusual uh, uh, experience. I had met an Argentinian scholar who was who was uh, very much interested in social social programs and social indicators. And uh, I, at the time, was actually working in in, in uh, Venezuela, and I headed uh, a research group which was examining uh, poverty in Venezuela. In fact, that was my first book. It was confiscated. The report was confiscated by the Council of Ministers. But at that particular time, this professor comes up. He's from the University of Cordoba. He said, would you like to come to Argentina to to our research center? And that was that was a year earlier. So the coup hadn't even happened. And I said, yes. And, and I went there under a United Nations sponsorship. It was UNDP. And um, I was a bit hesitant to go, and he said, no, uh, it's okay, everything is stable. And I arrived I arrived about one or two weeks after the coup, and then eventually uh, went to Cordoba, where, where I, I started working with them. And uh, it was a very momentous period, certainly in my life, uh, uh, to have experienced uh, these two major crossroads in Latin American history, the, the coup in Chile, which I, which I was there on the very same day that it happened. In Argentina, I actually arrived after the coup, but I lived through the, the first three months of the military regime and, and witnessed the, you know, the whole process of, of, of what was going on. I actually lived it, and, and that was a very stupid thing to do because we, we took an apartment which was right downtown near what was called Plaza de Armas, where, where you had the police headquarters with sandbags all over the place, and every night there was shooting. And I said, well, why? We had realized we were one block away from this uh, area, which was the most dangerous crossroads in, in the downtown area. So that was the background, and then uh, subsequently left in mid to late July. I left 
I left the Argentina. I spent yes, three very momentous months as visiting professor. Now, the shooting that you would hear downtown from your apartment, was that fighting or were those uh, executions? No, no, that was fighting. The, the, the thing is that there was an insurgency. There was a guerrilla movement. The guerrilla movement was the Montoneros, and they were the leftist, uh, Peronist. Uh, they weren't necessarily associated with the, the Peronist party per se, but this was an insurgency, and, and they would go in and possibly confront these police headquarters. But very often there were, you know, there was shooting right in the downtown areas. Uh, we would hear them. Sometimes it was calm, but then sometimes two, three, four days in succession, they would be, they'd be shooting in the downtown area. By and large, the city was very dead at night. Apart from these shootings, people wouldn't go out. Uh, and when we went out, we would be very careful. We wanted to go to the other side of the square. Well, we wouldn't go across the square with all the, the sandbags and, and the, the machine guns and so on. So we'd go right round to the other side to a restaurant, which was on the other side of the square. But um, I guess what was, for me, very enlightening was the relationship with my students because it was uh, it was a tremendous uh, daily discussion on politics and so on. But even within my classroom, I, I said to my students, they're taking a great risk in talking up like that because there could very well be a, some uh, infiltration in, inside these university courses. And there was a lot, you could feel the the anger of the population in, in relation to this regime. Uh, and and also there were there were also political assassinations in the university itself, uh, and there were people who were arrested. Uh, uh, it was an atmosphere of tremendous uh, fear and intimidation throughout, at least throughout the early months of the regime which I lived through. Michel Chosodovsky, thank you very much. Thank you. Delighted. I've been speaking with Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show has been Who is Pope Francis I? Michel Chosodovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis on a broad range of issues. Michel Chosodovsky is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order. War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism, as well as numerous articles. Visit the Center for Research on Globalization website at www.globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G.